Welcome to Parkview. My name's Tim. We're glad to have you here. Clap if you want. You're clappy today. I like this. It's good. Let, let me tell you something that you can clap about. 800 people going through Rooted. Here's some pictures of the beginning of it. Raise your hand if you were there uh, Monday night. All of our campuses, all of our campuses, raise your hand. Clap for those people because they've committed uh, 10 weeks to doing this. Oh. I am more excited about that. We sent $127,000 down to a church in Houston that you guys collected a truck, a couple of truckloads of stuff, people that signed up to go. If you are new, if you're watching this online thinking about coming or whatever, I just got to tell you, this is an unbelievably great place. It, the work of God is happening here. So what we're doing is uh, we're doing this series on the Lord's Prayer because, um, it, I mean, it's like most of our people, 80% of our people in the area grew up in, in the... Catholic church and you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer and everybody else that didn't grow up in a church or grew up in a different church, you know the Lord's Prayer, but you, you, you're, it's so familiar, you're not like, I, I'm not sure what I'm saying. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it, okay? And, and the problem is, I think for, for us, prayer in, uh, in, in a lot of, you know, in a lot of instances becomes our kind of in case of emergency thing, you know, like, oh, whoops, I'm in trouble, and so i got to break the glass and pull the lever and, and, and do that. I mean, for us and our family, two weeks ago, my father-in-law fell and uh, broke his hip, 83, and he takes care of my mother-in-law who has Parkinson's, and, you know, so that was like our most recent, I mean, we, we're, we're prayers, but that was our most recent, uh, we got to pull the lever, break the glass, because we need a lot of help here, and that's probably going on in your life, too, but prayer is supposed to be more than that. Prayer should be more than just like calling 911. Should be more than calling poison control. Funny story, my, my, uh, as we're sitting around in the hospital with all of our family, uh, we're talking about pills and taking pills because Don and Carol need to take a lot of pills. And as a matter of fact, you know, all the kids are kind of old enough that we're taking a lot of pills. And, and, uh, and so Michelle kind of elbowed my brother-in-law, Jack. My, my sister-in-law elbowed my brother-in-law and said, you got to tell him the, the story. And uh, so Jack, who I... Uh, always love to say his heart is bigger than his brain. Um, he, uh, he, he started to tell us this story. I love my brother-in-law, Jack, how they were standing around the kitchen one day, and he, he popped out the flea pill for uh, their dog, you know, because he was going to give it to the dog, and they were doing some other stuff and cleaning up, and they were talking, and then all of a sudden he was like, Michelle, where's the pill? I, I can't find the pill. And he, and, it, and he realized that he'd taken it. You, you know, you just kind of mind, because when you get to be our age, if there's a pill there, you just take it. You just kind of, you know, you're like, okay, it must have been mine. And, and then he was like, oh my gosh, I mean, I don't know, if, is that okay? I better call poison control. So he calls poison control, and, and he's like, well, let's just say that uh, somebody took a, a flea pill. Would that be harmful? And they said, well, how old is the child? He said, old, old enough to know better. They said, well, uh, how big is he? How much does he weigh? Jack said, about 220 pounds. And they started laughing on the other end. They said, you know, you might start scratching around your ear, but you'll, you'll be fine. It's no big deal, right? But nobody ever calls up poison control or 911. You don't have a relationship there. And this relationship is something that God wants with us all the way through. So many of us treat our prayer life as just like case of emergency or it's the drive-through window. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my order and then I'm going to come around and supersize me, God. Here's my list of things that I need you to do for me. But, but our relationship with God as our Father, which we talked about last week, that it should be deeper than that. And it should be more relational than that. I mean, there, there are a lot of things going on in our life that God wants to know about before we poison ourselves, you know, before we get in that place where things are, are that way. 
I mean, insignificant things. We're going to talk about our daily bread in a couple of weeks. I mean, that, that's like the, this, God wants to be involved in every part of your life. He's your dad. I'm a grandfather, and I talk to my grandchildren about some pretty trivial stuff. They're all uh, almost two and almost three and then a, a little baby. And, and, and the ones that can talk, we spend a lot of time talking about potty training right now. You know? And that's not, at my age, an irrelevant conversation anyway. So, you know, we, we tend to have that conversation a lot. And if they're teenagers and they're still going, Papa, I went potty in the potty chair, that's going to be a problem. But, but when they're teenagers, they're going to have other insignificant. They're going to tell me about the crush they've got on somebody, or they're going to tell me some other little insignificant things. And that's a relationship. That's what I want to have. Even though they live far away, I can still do that. And I can still, we can still grow in our relationship. And I think that's what I'm, I want it to be a time where we grow into a deeper level of conversation with our Father. So here's where we started last week. If you didn't hear last week, I really, I know I say this, but really, really, it's pivotal, a pivotal conversation about how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, okay? Father part may be hard for you if you didn't have a good relationship with Dad. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. We talked last week about that's the same phrase that Jesus says when He says, Our Father in heaven. And Abba means Daddy. First time it's ever used. Daddy. Our Daddy in heaven. We can call Him our, our Daddy Father. So you're no longer a slave. You're God's child. And since you are God's child, He has made you an heir. That's the relationship. Maybe may new to you that you could have that father relationship, but it's there. John wrote, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. Just grab a hold of that. Our Father... Where is he? He's in heaven. Doesn't mean he's not here on earth. It means he can be places where we can't. That gives us perspective. Hallowed be thy name. Prioritizing your name. Your name is holy. You are the one who's in control. Okay? That was last week. That leads us up to the next part very simply thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven i'm going to hallow your name i'm going to prioritize your name and it's going to be about your kingdom so there are two questions about this today that i think we need to answer whose kingdom come and what is that kingdom what does it look like whose kingdom come I mean, we know this right our father in heaven we talked about this last week but this is super important at the beginning of our prayer life because I don't know about you, but I'm selfish. I am profoundly self-centered. I can take any situation there is and make it all about me and my feelings and my preferences. It's my default setting to be, to be selfish. It's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about number one. Oh, my, me, my. That song is about me. I just do that. I don't know. Maybe you don't, but I'm guessing that as I admit that, you're thinking, yeah, I guess... I probably do that too, don't I? So this whole kingdom thing starts with who's on the throne. Let, let, me, let me summarize it this way. I brought out my Legos today, all right? Um, we didn't have Legos when I was a kid. We just stacked rocks on top of each other. But now they have these uh, fancy Lego toys. And let me tell you something. Let me explain something to you. If you're a parent of only one child so far, you're not a parent yet, Legos are great. Legos are a one-child project, okay? 
I just need you to understand that. Because here's what the problem is going to be. If, if you have two children playing with the same pile of Legos and they're going to build a tower, inevitably what's going to happen is somebody's going to say, well, I think we need to put the white piece up there. And somebody else is going to say, no, 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 I think we need the red piece up there. And they're going to be an ar- there's going to be an argument. You know, the two kids working together is not going to work very well together. Okay? So then what happens? So then you go into the room, go down to the basement, wherever it is, and you're like, hey, kids, why don't you each work on, look at all these Legos, why don't you each work on your own project? Sally, you can work on your tower, and Johnny, you can work on your little pirate ship, and look at all these Legos. And then you're like, got this, going back to Netflix, I got it handled, everything's going to be great, except pretty soon, somebody's going to start yelling and screaming because Sally's going to take this black piece that there are 50,000 of in the box, and she's going to try to put it on her tower, and Johnny's going to say, no, I need that black piece for my pirate ship, mom, and that's what's going to happen. Legos is a one-person thing. I just want you to understand. And as I describe that, unfortunately, it sounds a lot like my prayers. Because I am a selfish human being. A lot of my prayers are, Dear God, I please, please, I need more blue pieces, please. Or, Dear God, you know, this is, somebody else has got more pirate ship stuff than I've got, or whatever. And those are my prayers. So when Jesus is teaching us, Thy kingdom come, it's like basically what He's trying to teach us is, how about we build my tower? Let's build my tower, and, and you help me. That's thy kingdom come. And, and, and I know that your reaction to that might be, well, I, I don't know if I want to give up. I don't, I don't know if I want to let, you know, build God's tower. Here, here's what Jesus said. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Good news of God. Here's the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. It's good news that God's kingdom, I mean, it's not good news that I build my own tower or my own pirate ship, that I'm going to build God's kingdom. How is that good news? And it says repent there, Tim. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry for the preachers who always said repent, like repent, <laughs> because you're going to hell. I'm sorry for those guys. They turned that word into something that it was never meant to be. Repent means to turn around. It simply means to turn around. What Jesus is saying is, look, I know your tower is really, really cool, but you need to turn around and jump in on God's tower, on God's Lego project, because God's kingdom is good news. It's really, really good news. Because He's the King. He's in heaven. He's our Father. He loves you. Thy kingdom come. That's better, okay? It's way better than my kingdom. Having that God, that good Father, be in charge of the universe is way better than me being in charge of the universe. What good is it to have a king that just goes along with what you want and never helps you to be everything that you could be? The last time I was with uh, my grandson Charlie several weeks ago down in Nashville, he'd had raisins in his cereal, and he, like I said, he's, he's going to be three next month. He, he was obsessing about raisins, and then sharks came into the conversation somehow. And at some point, you know, this, this, this three-year-old mind is like, uh, he goes to his mom. He says, Mom, do sharks eat raisins? And she said, mm, no, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think so, buddy. Um, sharks, raisins don't grow in the water. Sharks are in the water. Well, he didn't like that answer, so he went over to Nana. He said, Nana, do sharks eat raisins? Nana said, no, Charlie, sharks eat little fish. Still wasn't the answer he wanted, so he came over to me. He said, Papa, do sharks eat raisins? I said, 
Yes. <laughs> yes, they do, Charlie. I'm not his dad. It's not my problem. <laughs> right? I just want him to like me. That's all I care about. That's, so I said, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and I don't think I lied. Somewhere in the universe, a shark has accidentally eaten a raisin at some point. Come on. That was, like, that was like weeks ago. So I was FaceTiming with him a couple of days ago, and, and he was eating pistachios. And I was like, hey, Charlie, do sharks eat pistachios? He said, nope, they eat raisins. <laughs> is that the kind of king you want? Is that the kind of, is that kind of, the kind of God you want? It just says, yeah, whatever. You know, believe whatever you want. I just want you to like me. No, no, no. The good news is the kingdom of heaven is way, way better than anything that we can do on our own. He knows what sharks really eat. He knows the real answers. The good news is the kingdom of God is here. All right? Whose kingdom? Second question. What kind of kingdom is it? See, the thing is, the listeners to Jesus in Jesus' day would have heard this very different than we have. We've memorized it, we've spiritualized it, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But for them, it was a political thing because they associated the kingdom of God. They had this misrepresentation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God to them was synonymous with the nation of Israel. So, so what they heard was, thy kingdom come, and they were like, yes, let's overthrow Rome. That's literally what they, he they heard. And I don't know if you can understand how ironic this is in light of present-day conversation. Many Christians still believe that the nation of Israel represents the people of God. And that's why Middle East politics is always so complicated. I do not believe that. But many Christians do. They believe that that still represents the nation of God. I believe the church is the nation of God now. But that makes it complicated. Forget about that. Many Christians also believe that because the United States was founded on Christian principles, and it absolutely was, that it should continue to be governed by Christian principles no matter how democracy works. And while I would love for that to happen, because I think Christian principles are the best way to run any organization, your business, our church, our country, the problem with the democracy is you can't force a democracy to be the way that you want so we have to have a part in the democratic process, but we can't expect it to conform to a certain standard just because it started that way. You following me? Plus, then we have the whole problem of whose definition of a Christian nation are we going to use? Is it yours? Is it mine? Is it that God hates gays church down in Kansas? Who, whose definition are we going to use? We need to understand that when Jesus is saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, he is not talking about power ruling a nation. That's what they would have heard. They would have heard, Yes, Jewish nation again. They would have said, Viva la Abraham. And they, and they would have been all excited. And part of the other problem with their scenario is that Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. He's above the Sea of Galilee in a place like this where I'll be in a few weeks when I take another group to the Holy Land. So that's my favorite place to be is around the Sea of Galilee knowing that, you know, because it's not been touched since the time that Jesus was there. And Jesus is teaching there. It's so beautiful, right? What you don't understand is that that's where every other revolutionary leader would hide out was in the mountains outside the Sea of Galilee. 
All the other revolutionary leaders, all the other people who were trying to say, let's overthrow the government, they would pop out, they would get the people all riled up, and every once in a while there'd be an uprising, and Rome would have to stamp it out, and they would crucify some people, and and, and it would stamp it out, and they would go on again. So Jesus is in that place, and he's saying, yes, let's pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And these people are hearing, yes, let's free Israel. He's going to take political office. He's going to be our new ruler. And this is going to be awesome. This is the symbolism of Palm Sunday. If you've never heard this before, this is why this is so ironic. On Palm Sunday, they're waving palm branches. Waving palm branches. That was not just like somebody was like, hey, there's some palm branches. Let's wave them. This was symbolic. This was definitely deeply symbolic. That's what they would do to welcome the king. So they're welcoming the king as Jesus is coming down. Hosanna! Great is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then, five days later, they're yelling, crucify him, kill this bozo. He's not the kind of leader we want him to be. How does that happen? Because their interpretation of what the kingdom of God was going to look like was different than the one that Jesus brought us. So important. Let let me have some fun with this and help you to see these four different groups that were represented in Jesus' day among the Jews. Okay, Group number one was the Zealots. They were the original Assassin's Creed. Okay? Like, these were the ones who said, kill them. They were terrorists, basically. They were like, let's kill them. And and they would hide knives under their cloak. And whenever there was a big gathering, if there was a Roman guard around, they would take their knives and they would stab the guard and then run back off into the crowd again. That's what they were famous for, literally. The zealots, okay? Their idea on how to deal with Rome was, let's kill them, okay? The Essenes were uh, the people who said, we got to get away from here. All right, they were the original Amish Mennonite kind of thing. You know, let's go have our own thing and our own government. We'll get away from here. We'll go far away where they won't bother us and we'll deal with it that way. Pharisees, you may have heard, Pharisees were a group of Jews who thought we could legislate this. Let's legislate them. So they came up with all these, all these rules and all these laws. And the chief priest of the, of the Pharisees was one who was... Uh, able to have a little control because we see that when they crucified Jesus. He's got some legal control because the Roman government is saying, okay, we'll let your laws rule for some of these things. And the Pharisees thought if we could just get all the rules set up, if we could just legislate this morality, then everything's going to be okay. And the Sadducees were another one of those groups, and they were the liberals. It's so ironic. They were the ones who said, yeah, if you can't beat them, join them. We're just not going to worry about you know, some of our beliefs anymore. We're not going to believe in the resurrection. We're not going to believe in some of those things. So you've got all four of these groups. Jesus comes onto the scene. All four of them think, yay, they think Jesus is going to be our, 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 our political leader who's going to kill all the enemies. They say, yay, Jesus is going to go hang out with us out in the countryside. They say, yeah, Jesus is going to be the ruler and be the Supreme Court nominee or whatever and make sure all the rules are going the right way. And, and this one is, you know, let's, Jesus is going to come along and be the bridge in between us and the Roman government. This is, the, this is the political climate. It's bizarre. It's the same as today. And the people saw the signs that Jesus performed. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, I don't know how you do that, but he, he, he was like, I'm getting out of here. He withdrew to a mountain by himself. Because I didn't come to be one of their leaders and bring the kingdom that way. 
They wanted a new ruler so bad they were going to try to force him to be one. But Jesus resisted the political landscape of the day. Even though his people were facing all kinds of injustice, even though it was a very difficult time for the Jews, he did not take the political kingdom road. He was still the Messiah. He was still the king. It's a different kind of kingdom. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's different than the way many of us want to think about it. He ushered in a kingdom where the greatest would be the servant, where the first would be last and the last would be first. That's why when they finally figured it all out that he wouldn't be their earthly king, they killed him. It's amazing. Because all through his teaching, he's been telling them what this kingdom looks like. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say blessed are the powerful, blessed are the successful. He says blessed are those who recognize their dependence on God. And you can be powerful and successful and still be dependent on God. It's just more difficult when you mix power into this equation. We think it happens through power, through politics, through, through that kind of might. But Jesus said, no, that's not how it goes. Earlier in this sermon also, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to these people about what it looks like to live the kingdom. Remember, he's talking to the terrorists, to the, to the runaway people, to the legislators, to the joiners. And, and there's one law that really, really irritated them. And this was a law that the, the Romans had enacted that a Roman guard, a Roman soldier, if you were standing by him and he needed you to carry something for him, he could make you carry something for him. Now, the Pharisees had legislated it so that there was a limit, so that he could only make you carry it a mile. That was a rule. If there was a Roman soldier there and they made you carry something, this is how Simon ended up with the cross on the Via Dolorosa, okay? This is how the Roman guard was like, pick up that cross, and Simon had to do that, okay? So, so you had to do that, you had to go one mile. And so the people complained to Jesus, and Jesus goes, yeah, you know what? That's not fair. We need to do something about it. The terrorists are like, yeah, let's kill them. And the withdrawers are like, yeah, let's get out of here. And the legislators are like, yeah, we need some laws. We need a Facebook page. We need a petition. We need to get something going here. And the liberals were like, let's just all get along. Let's see if we can all get along. And Jesus says, hey, I got another idea. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What? Jesus, I think you're missing the point here, man. We don't want to go any miles. We don't want to go at all. This isn't fair. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I get it. I think I have a different solution. This is the new kingdom. And it's not about power. What would change on this earth if the people of God started to actually live this way? If we prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then we actually started to do what Jesus asked us to do. You want to solve racism? You don't solve racism by taking down statues or enacting more legislation. We solve racism by going out of our way to serve people of other ethnic backgrounds. It's that simple. I was at Wrigley on Friday. I'm a don't get excited, I'm a Cardinal fan. Um, 
I'm a Cardinal fan, and you know, there, there, was, there was still, there's still a little bit of hope, um, and there was, a, there was more hope on Friday before the game, and, and, and you know, so I, uh, my dad is a lifelong Cardinal fan, my dad came over from Indiana, and I, and I took Bill Brown, who's an avid Cardinal fan, our executive pastor here, and his son Tyler, and Sam Cannoli. Sam Cannoli, if you haven't met him at, at your campus yet, maybe hadn't led when you were there, he's one of our worship leaders, and he's African-American. And he made a comment to me recently that he'd never been to Wrigley Field yet. And it is an experience. I mean, no matter what, you, to, to be able to get down there. So I was able to get tickets, and we went down there. And so we're, we're on our way out. We're, we're leaving early. This game didn't turn out the way we hoped it was going to, okay? We didn't want to have to hear, go, Cubs, go, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. So we got the heck out of there, all right? You know, we're like, we're like leaving. I know I got a two-hour drive home on the Dan Ryan on Friday at 5 o'clock. So, so we, we, we're, we take off and we get out of there. We're on our way out. And on our way out, there's always those guys that are selling water. They, they've got a cooler there. They went and bought water for 20 cents a piece at Walmart, and they're selling it to you for two bucks. But that's okay because in the park, it's $6.50. So you're still like, oh, good, I'm glad I saw you. Yeah, I got two hours to go. I want a bottle of water. So we had kind of split up. We were on, on our way back. We all knew where the truck was. We were all on our way. And, and, and the other guys had gone on. I'm like, hey, guys, you want a water? And they were like, no, no, it's okay. I said, how much for the water? He said, two bucks. I said, okay, I'll take one. Sam's behind me, uh, you know, like a block or so. So I'm waiting on Sam, literally because Sam is, has been talking to a homeless guy. Because he's so Jesus. I mean, I'm like, I got to drive, man. I got, we got to get home. Like, hi, homeless guy. I'm on my way. And Sam's like, oh, hey, let me stop and be Jesus and all that stuff. So I'm waiting on Sam. And, and, and so the guy that's selling the waters is an African-American guy. He's a black guy. And he sells, he sells me a water. And Sam walks up. And I say, hey, Sam, do you want a water? And he, Sam says, yeah, how much? And, and I, I said, don't worry about it. I got it. And I got out two more ones. And the guy looked at me, and he said, is he with you? I said, yeah. He said, oh, well, then it's two for three dollars. <laughs> Do you know what happened? I got the brother discount. <laughs> that was so awesome. I've never gotten the brother discount before. And, and what I interpreted that, I went ahead and gave him the $2 because I interpreted that as this guy going, hey, way to go. You, you have a friend who's a different color than you, and I'm going to reward that. Way to go, dude. That's awesome. That's the way you solve racism. Way to go, man. And the lady selling Polish sausages inside Wrigley was from Parkview, so I got a great deal on those too. It was a great day. <laughs> I get the Parkview discount, the brother discount. It was wonderful. Okay, but here's the deal. That's how you solve it, okay? What's interesting about church history is that you'll find that the kingdom of God advanced the most when it had the least power. This is my equation. Less power for the church equaled more spread of the kingdom. When the church got started, the government was oppressive. Nero was impaling Christians on stakes and lighting them on fire to light his parties, and, and, and you know, the, the Colosseum was going on, and, and, and gladiators and all of that kind of stuff was happening, and the church blew up. I mean, it just grew and grew and grew, and you know why? Because the church wasn't worried about power, 
The church realized that God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven was about loving people. So they were great at loving people. The people that were different from them. Different ethnically, different races. The poors, poor people, the widows and the orphans. And God's kingdom advanced like crazy way better than it would have if Jesus would have been the Messiah that those people wanted him to be when they thought he was coming in on Palm Sunday to take over. As a matter of fact, it was that way for 300 years. And then it got so popular that Constantine, who was the ruler of the free world basically at that time, became a Christian. And most people, most historians would tell you that the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity was Constantine becoming a Christian 300 years later. Because now it became about power. And that was never the way God's kingdom was going to come. It can be confusing because when you read about the kingdom in, in the Bible, sometimes it says the kingdom is here and sometimes it says the kingdom is coming. And of course, we live in this tension of being in a place where, where God's kingdom is here, but someday we are going to be in his perfect kingdom. But it's more than that, okay? It's more than that. Um, I, I think Michael Frost said it best. The kingdom is available, but we have to bring it. Here, here you go. Michael Frost said, God can't possibly be any more powerful than he is or reign any more than he already does. The thing that can change is that we can come into a greater realization of his reign. Let's just say that you're in a room of dirty windows, and outside the room was the most beautiful sunset the world has ever seen. I love this. It is impossible for the sunset to be any more beautiful, but the people in the room haven't enjoyed the beauty of the sunset because the windows won't let them realize the beauty of the sunset. They need someone to wipe the window so they can see the reality of the beautiful sunset. When we pray, Michael says, that God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying to be used by God to be window washers. We don't help God reign more. We just help people realize the victory that God has already won and the life that they can have when they realize that God is on the throne. Isn't that great? I believe in that so much. I got a tattoo when I was 50. Um, it, it, it's here on my arm. You can't usually see it. But you can see it says heaven to earth and earth to heaven. That's my mantra. That's Parkview's cross logo, and that's my mantra. This is what I'm all about, bringing heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then when we leave here, knowing that as many people from earth are going to go to heaven with me when we're done. That's what it's supposed to be about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ironically, when that starts to happen, the problems of the world get solved at the same time. We've seen it happen with the hurricane victims. Our team is on their way back from Malawi right now. My wife is landing uh, right about now, coming back from Malawi and what we're doing in the third poorest country in Africa. And maybe you saw People Magazine, Madonna's back in working there again. And, and there are other aid organizations working over there. And that's all great. And raising money and building hospitals is all great. And I hope that politically we can get some things changed around so that the political situation in Malawi is better than it is right now. But the way we solve the problems of Malawi is not that way. The way we solve the problems of Malawi is by training pastors to go into their congregations and mobilize Christians to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. 
600 of them so far now. 600 pastors from all throughout Malawi have been trained, and we will continue to do that. And now we're going to start on the, on, the, on the groundswell of the things that we can get involved in and help them to learn how to do health care, help them to learn how to do HIV, AIDS prevention, and, and, and deal with that scenario, how, how to farm better, how to, how to figure out what crops to grow, all of those things. That's what the church can do, because that's what the church does best. We can mobilize those people. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's not about making sure that all the power gets transferred over to the powerful people. It's about all of us deciding that we're going to go do what we can do to bring the kingdom. Kyle Eidelman, my friend from down in Louisville, said it this way. He said, I had the opportunity recently to be in South Central L.A. It's like, it's like Chicago, bad gang violence, 60% unemployment. He said, I met a man named Alfred Lomas who grew up on the streets. 29 years he'd been in gangs, since he was 12. Nothing but a life of violence and drugs and uh, jail. One afternoon he was released from prison, and he was hungry. And he's walking down this alley in South Central L.A., and he saw kind of an unusual sight. It was an elderly white lady walking towards him down the alley. He said, I saw her, and I thought, well, she's going to turn and run away from me when she sees me, so I'm just going to go over to the other side of the alley. But she went over to the other side of the alley, too. He's like, oh, I guess she wants to talk to me. Turns out the sweet lady had gotten lost from her church group. She was on a mission trip, and she'd found herself in this alley. So she asked Alfred, 29-year gang member, just gets out of prison, if he's hungry. And he said, yeah. And she said, well, I know a place where you can eat if you can help me figure out how to get back there. <laughs> so they talked enough, and he figured out where it was that she was going, and he went with her, and she took him to a place called the Dream Center in L.A. It's this wonderful Christian organization in downtown L.A., a Christian ministry that reaches out to people like Alfred. Alfred got food and decided to stay. And after a year in that program, he experienced something that he'd never known before. Unconditional love. The kingdom of God. Surrendered his life to Jesus, and he has spent the years since then working to bring the kingdom of God to the streets of South Central L.A. Eventually, he oversaw efforts to bring in 80 tons of food every month to those impoverished areas. And not just to where he grew up, but he started bringing food to the other gang regions, to the places that were once his sworn enemies. And Alfred worked to accomplish something that the city of Los Angeles thought was impossible for a long time. He brokered a truce. He calls it an understanding between the three main gangs in the area. Kyle said, so now people like me, a white guy, can walk around and see it, see the streets, and be with people. That could have not happened not too long ago. Alfred's efforts started to draw attention from different media outlets. And one of the articles I was reading about him was about how the city of Los Angeles has spent tens of millions of dollars on this problem. They've passed all kinds of ordinances and all kinds of laws. They've been all kinds of political rhetoric for decades to try to solve this problem, trying to make a dent in the violence and the drug wars, and it hasn't happened. Until a little white lady got lost in the alley and met Alfred. 
And now Alfred and others like him have come onto the scene. And they are bringing the kingdom of God to South Central L.A. And when the kingdom of God, Kyle says, comes to Rome, when the kingdom of God comes to Jerusalem, when it comes to South Central L.A., when the kingdom of God comes to the United States, when it comes to your neighborhood, to your home, that's when things start to change. That is the Our Father. That is what we pray Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray it. We're going to pray at the end of every service. Stand with me. I'd like to do it together. We're doing the traditional book of prayers, King James with trespasses, and we'll have the words up with you. But but I I want you to know you got a special treat today. At one of the three graduation ceremonies, I asked our team to tape the Malawi leaders of the church's in one region of Malawi, and they're going to recite it for us, and they're going to lead it for us. Remember, they don't know English all that well. They're a little bit slow, so just follow along with them as they lead and listen for this beautiful moment to happen. Repeat along with them and understand the prayer in a new and deeper way as we're led all the way from Africa. One, two, three. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.